it doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what the liturgies are. It doesn't matter what the whether you have whether you have a high liturgy or low liturgy or no liturgy. Whether you're a crypto papist like you. Yeah. Uh, the, uh... <laughs> but but if you're preaching the gospel and not Amen. compromising, then God you that's what God uses. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here as always with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys? Excellent. Great, Nick. Thanks. So what do you guys think Whoopi Goldberg thinks an archbishop's job is? <laughs> That's I have no idea. He literally... He literally is supposed to do what he did. That is his job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what is she? I mean, I guess she thinks he's like, I don't know, supposed to be the teller of nice stories. The I don't know. It's just so strange. That she she was. I are in the secular mind. Are Christian pastors supposed to just stay? In their lane. Well, they're chaplains. I mean, yeah. at, at best, the idea of someone as a Christian pastor is, is like a hospice chaplain, you know, or like a like a cruise ship, right? Um, you know, like uh, marry you when you want, um, you know, hold your hand, be really nice, and that's that's the picture of uh, of ministry for most people. And how dare you actually um, say something that would sort of contradict my my personal autonomy, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember that, that it's probably right. I, mean, I remember going through CPE, clinical pastoral education, and our and our leader, our dear leader. Being subjected to CPE. I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Telling us, you, if, if you're going into, besides, if you're going to visit somebody who's a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever, not a Christian, don't you dare share the gospel with that person, even if they're That's dying, right. because your job is to go in there and help them feel comfortable on the way to wherever they're going. Oh, Nick and I, to be fair. JD and I had, had like the one evangelical He was amazing. What was his name, Chaplain? Um, I can't remember. I can only uh, remember Chaplain remember. John, which is what he called you. He called me Chaplain John. And he was this wonderful, he was this African-American guy who, by his own admission, said, I used to be a very angry black man, Chaplain John. You know, and he now was a... Um, Eliciting deathbed confessions out of these people. Yeah, and amazing. he would be like, and these people were like, some of them were like, you know, like six minutes away from the plug being pulled and he would be lecturing and preaching to them about changing their, you know, when they get out of this, that they needed to repent and turn to Jesus. And we were just standing back watching him like awestruck because it was a beautiful thing to behold. I mean, I love that man. He was, he was, um, he was uniquely appointed at that time because he was in, you know, the Pittsburgh VA system. And if he's listening, hi, uh, you know, call us and let us remind your name, but you know, the Pittsburgh VA system, which is, um, but he was basically operating in secret. He wasn't allowed to be doing that. No, it was awesome. But no one was going to stop him because, you know, no one wanted to be, no one wanted to, to, to impede him in any way. And it was just, (laughs) it was really um, the Lord's mercy uh, because he was, we just spent, and then, and of course, at the end of our 400 hours with him, uh, what did we do but go to an all you can eat Chinese buffet and and celebrate. As one does. As one does. That's right. (laughs) But if he's listening, remind us your name because you are very dearly beloved. A great um, encouragement to us. We have blocked out the specifics from our memory, (laughs) our collective memory. (laughs) Oh, man. 
Well, this week we thought we would talk about a topic that is dear to all of our hearts, uh, the ACNA, Anglicanism, the formation of Anglicans, and the future of formation in the ACNA. At Trinity School for Ministry, the seminary that J.D. and I attended, and the seminary that Matt only wishes he could say he attended, uh, has just called a new dean and president, the Reverend Canon Dr. Brian Holland. J.D., you're on the board of Trinity. Talk to us just for a second about Dr. Holland, what Trinity was thinking about formation for ministry when they called him, and then maybe we can talk about Anglican formation and the ACNA in general. Sure. It was a great um, joy. The process was very exhaustive. Um, There were many, many good candidates, um, and ultimately we uh, felt the Lord was leading us to Dr. Holland. He was someone who, prior to the interview process was unknown to me, but that's not saying much, Uh, but it turns out he has been a long-serving professor at Malone University, and you can read his CV um, that was on many people's, but um, what was attractive to me about him um, in particular was not only was he an academic, which is a course important for an academic institution, but he also, in the process of being a professor, also got ordained in ACNA and planted a church. And so he was simultaneously um, had one foot, as it were, in the pulpit and one in uh, the academy. And that is just a wonderful picture uh, that has a long uh, pedigree in history within Anglicanism, uh, actually part of our patrimony that has most more recently been ignored or at least um, underplayed or undervalued. And so just in the context of the interview process of listening to sermons, of reading responsive questions, of interacting personally with him, I am incredibly excited as an alum and as a board member for Trinity and think that Trinity uh, has done a wonderful thing in its first 40 years, as Bishop Rogers said on the 40th anniversary of Trinity, that, you know, the mission when we started Trinity was to renew the Episcopal Church, to which that was a failure. But it turns out that was vision was way too small because what Trinity actually did was help seed SEED, the global Anglican Orthodox movement, by um, networking graduates and uh, drawing together like-minded biblically Orthodox Anglicans, as we say, for a global future. And so the the uh, Trinity itself uh, over the past couple of years, as has the ACNA, been in a time of transition um, towards a more um, sort of full appreciation of um, the founding documents that we have been gifted with, the um, the convictions that went into the formation of our province, and then as a result, the hope that we have at Trinity that we would be, well, we've stated as much that we would be the preeminent, if not the forefront um, of ACNA theological education. Now, you know, of course, people at other schools may, <laughs> may take exception to that, but um, I certainly think that at the very least, our appeal and our argument as to why Trinity um, has been strengthened by Dr. Holland's appointment. And I, for one, am excited to remain on the board and continue to uh, encourage people to consider coming to a place where the formation is not only top-notch and getting better every successive year, but also where the history, you know, the halls and the, the town and the city, I mean, it was it was walked by all of our old haunts, Nick, um, hmm. there in Ambridge just cry out with the um, now many have gone to the church triumphant uh, people who who gave their lives and their their time, energy, and talent for the formation and preservation of that school. And of course, as an institution, we don't hang our hopes on it itself, although as a faithful institution, one that has shown 
uh, courage under fire, uh, we're excited to see where Dr. Holland leads uh, the school. And so um, there's a lot more to be said and you can read about it and we'll be looking forward to introducing him around the various dioceses and sort of making a, a bigger name for himself uh, amongst uh, interested uh, people in the ACNA. But suffice it to say, it's a new chapter in the history of Trinity. You know, it's a, the first dean who will have served under a clarified vision of church uh, affiliation. You know, we, we will, of course, welcome students from a variety of, um, you know, evangelical backgrounds who can sign our statement of faith and uh, whatever church they're particularly serving or hoping to serve. But our primary emphasis will be to, to serve the ACNA by the formation of future clergy leaders. And so that's, um, that's going to mean that we will hopefully continue to represent and support the breadth of the ACNA, which we talk about a lot here, um, on the various, uh, you know, to the extent that we have uh, sort of doctrinal and theological sort of secondary issues, we will allow those to be debated and held, uh, but we will certainly, at the very least, uh, double down and forge people in the primary convictions from which the ACNA were, was was wrought um, in the in the hope and the in the confident hope that we will in fact be sending faithful shepherds um, into the world to care for the sheep. JD, that, that you're happy about this it gives me some encouragement because yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I trust you, and you're you uh, you've been on the board there, and you know who who this person. I I, I don't know much about him at all, um, right? Except for what I've read, and and so I I. I'm glad that you are happy about it. And I have to say that, you know, uh, the the history of the two seminaries that are distinctly Anglican um, that now serve the ACNA um, has been checkered. You know, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll name the elephant in the room. You know, the, the Trinity started off uh, as an evangelical, to be an even, specifically evangelical seminary. Um, and I personally think it lost its way in certain in certain areas, uh, especially the most some of the most vocal professors there are are clearly woke, and they have um, embraced women's ordination. Are, are some of the main advocates for it, for it? In fact, I wrote a paper. I was part of the authorship team in our diocese that wrote a paper against the pro WO pro women's ordination paper that these two professors did. So I, I I'm all for academic freedom. Um, at the same time, it does seem like, you know, in the past, Trinity has taken a pretty, a pretty progressive stance on some of the issues that are most, most compelling in our own debate. And that's not Trinity alone. The Shota House, I mean, the Shota House is under new management now, thank goodness. But before, in the years leading up to this new management, what, they, they invited Catherine Jefferts Shorey to come and speak on campus. So for that reason, a lot of dioceses, mine included, will not send candidates to Trinity or to, or right. to Neshota. We, we, I, in my church, we've sent uh, three, we're going on four people through, uh, through seminary and the bishop, our bishop will not send them to any ang distinctly Anglican seminary. Mm -hmm. They go to Westminster, <laughs> Westminster. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and there's an Anglican, pro there's a little cooperation there to get um, some Anglican education along with that, but that's a, that's a, that's a tragedy. So hopefully, I mean, I'm praying that this guy, this new Dean, well, I will make some changes. That leads so that, us to right. what we want to say, right? Yeah. What, and, what yeah. does Anglican formation look like? What does but good Anglican formation look like? Speak to that briefly. Um, <laughs> in, in that is to say that I think that is precisely the type of conversation that Dr. Holland, along with, you know, particularly Bishop Dobbs and other, other concerned bishops would be, uh, I, I imagine, I don't want to speak for him, but I can imagine, 
he would welcome, as I would as a board member, uh, that conversation in a in the spirit of of hopeful, loving correction, perhaps, or at least um, or at least concern, because of course the bishops are the one who who are the gatekeepers for the ordinance, um, and more importantly, they're the ones who are responsible as the overshepherd or the undershepherd of the sheep. And so, if they're concerned about what's being formed and how people are being formed, well, then um, and they're they're bishops in our church that we have pledged ourselves to serve. Well, then we need to listen to that. And particularly with some of the issues you've mentioned, if that breath remains in the ACNA and it's not, um, you know, sort of articulated or addressed by the bishops, which it doesn't seem to be, then I think the best that an Anglican formation uh, school could hope for is to rigorously um, defend both of those positions, both with either with faculty and or uh, with students, obviously, and prepare people to not only understand the position that they hold it better, but also have some compassion for the people with whom they disagree, albeit um, still maintaining that disagreement, because that's actually the church, as we've talked about, we've been given. Now, would that might be otherwise is a different conversation, but that it is thusly is something that we, um, you know, and I speak from personal experience, having been in the Diocese of South Carolina, which is a, um, we should say, as many dioceses who are mixed on this, you know, particularly women's ordination issue. And um, what I've seen is that the people who hold uh, their convictions the most deeply and the most thickly are able to articulate it with a sense of confidence and non-anxious presence amongst people with whom they disagree in a much better way than than perhaps people that were not formed to interact with that um, uh, have been able to to events, for, for lack of a better word. And so that's where I hope, you know, if we are, when I mean, we talked about this the first time we we met in person, like five years ago now, Matt, like, you know, we should have, every seminary should have a, you know, in the original languages, um, all, you know, six of them, a 25-page research paper as graduate for and against women's ordination. And that would be like the sum total of your final time at seminary. And it would, it would deepen some people's conviction. It would change others. And at the very least, it would make the conversation much less heated on a very superficial uh, level about just dismissing the other side. And, you know, some of the arguments would be found wanting and some would be tested and tried and found true. And we would be a better church for it. And that's been my advocacy at Trinity since the beginning. It's like if we're going to teach one side with such vigor and be so vocal about it, we'll then just have the, the contrary view put up there next to it and allow people to, as it were, be formed in this conflict, which we have we have been told now and sort of directed as a non-church dividing conflict. So if that's what it is, then let's see the church not divide by watching the conflict take place among Christian brothers and sisters. So anyway, I agree my, with that. Yeah, the, the thing. I agree with that. Open, open debate. Let's do that. At the same time, if you're going to be an ACNA seminary, the ACNA is a complementarian church. We've discussed this, haven't we? I mean, the yes, ACNA I agree. ultimately I agree. says there cannot seem, be women bishops. So right. if you're going to have like an ACNA seminary, have, yeah. you need to have an ACNA seminary defending that position ultimately. Like, uh, and in fact, not having not having faculty who are openly and strongly trying to undo that position. I mean, well, I think I, that's a, that's a, I think that's scandalous. Honestly. You should talk and to I, somebody. I love on the you. Board, I love but... you. I, I love you, JD. I, love, <laughs> I understand. I, I, I think you're doing. I, I think, you're doing, I think saying. you are doing a great job on that board. But, but I, I, maybe someone on the, on the Trinity board and maybe the new dean can hear this. You need to be if you're an ACNA seminary, you need to uphold ACNA standards, and you need to make sure your faculty is doing that. And if they're not, they need to be gone. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but, 
right? Well, right. But there's, there, but that doesn't preclude intellectual discussion. I mean, you can have a you can have a clear standard of belief and standard of of, uh, of advocacy as a, as a school, and yet and allow the free expression of ideas. But within the within the faculty itself and the, the official position of the school being one that's contrary to our own constitution, I think that's a huge contradiction and a, and a, and a big problem. Well, I think. Um... Yes. Uh, what to say about these things? <laughs> I know, um, I'm, not, I'm putting on the spot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I it's fine. I, it's said, just, I would say that I would say that Trinity, like the ACNA, is in a growing season, and we are maturing in our doctrinal and uh, ecclesial um, sort of commitments and witnesses. Ones that we have made. You know, we have made these commitments, but we are growing into the realities of them. And I think that's a valid point that should be considered by this board member and then by um, subsequent faculty hires of which, you know, this um, this will be a new generation. Dr. Holland is not, um, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's, you know, we're, we're hoping he will serve for, for many years until, um, you know, and he will have the opportunity to bring these type voices to bear. Um, and I think um, we'll be all the better for it. And so again, I, I think, you know, the bigger question for us, and this is, can be an extension of it, and I think that's a perfect example, Matt, is when we're looking at the formation of future ACNA leaders, you know, and I just got an argument, a vigorous discussion with a group of people. We're having an Anglican studies seminar down here in the diocese, and we had a meeting this afternoon. And part of the concern was that Anglicanism as an ism, you know, as sort of robes and formularies and all the things is very off-putting to non-Christians. And there was this question about what are the future Anglicans going to look like, you know, in order to be missional. And I said, well, in my personal experience, uh, it's a little bit like that quip attributed to Chesterton, I think, that Christianity hadn't been tried and found wanting. It hasn't been tried in that Chesterton was like where Anglicanism has actually been embraced. And I'm not talking about fussy 16th century recreation Anglicanism. I'm talking about like what W.H. Griffith Thomas says in his articles, uh, book on the articles of religion. He says, if give me a, give me a minister, a spirit filled minister that believes in article six about the authority of scripture and article 20 about the limits of the church. And there I will find a living, powerful, you know, ambassador of the word of God. I'm paraphrasing here, but I, I had to object to the doom and gloom because I said, it's been my personal experience and my experience watching others is that where Anglicanism is embraced, meaning the authority of scripture is upheld. The formularies are taken as a faithful guide uh, of, of theology where the homilies even are read with an ear towards uh, doctrinal clarity and precision and faithfully and powerfully preached, then I have seen nothing but church growth, nothing but life come from that. Now, it hasn't been, you know, um, exponential or what is it, arithmetic, what is the, the one that's more, it hasn't been, you know, um, explosive growth because that's because, it, but it's been cruciform growth, which means that people are actually drawn by the power of the spirit to the faithful proclamation of the gospel, namely Jesus Christ, you know, crucified for my sins and raised for my justification. And when people are converted to that Anglicanism, they never leave. And it, it doesn't matter if they're in, in Kuala Lumpur or um, Indonesia or uh, Vienna, Austria or Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And, I, and you see that all over the world. And that's what I'm excited for about the future of Anglican formation. This kind of leads into the, or at least brings up in my mind, the debate that had been ongoing on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter debates, uh, between James Woods and uh, yeah. uh, the whole winsomeness debate. You know, James Woods was, he's an Anglican actually, and he wrote, an article about Tim Keller, how uh, Tim Keller's 
methodology for attracting people, secular people, is flawed because it's designed for a, a culture in which Christianity is kind of seen as an, in a neutral way, that there's not not a lot of animosity toward Christianity. And so winsomeness might, might have some kind of winsomeness, meaning, you know, you're, you're just kind of finding a way to, to, yeah. to, to shape the gospel, to fit uh, a person's understanding um, and not being so confrontational. But James Wood's point is we're not, we're no longer in a neutral culture. We're in a negative culture using uh, Aaron West. Rin. Yeah. Aaron's uh, categories. So we, you can't, you, Winsomeness doesn't work now because there's, you cannot be winsome enough. You never can be. So you've got to be. You've got to actually be strikingly contrary to the culture. You've got to. You've got to be. You've got to proclaim the truth. And that's I right. think. And and I, and I actually don't think that that's a new thing. I think even in a neutral culture or in a friendly culture, that uh, that's always the case. That's right. That the, the church always fails and always begins to succumb to uh, cultural influences and worldliness when it decides that it's going to, to try and appeal using cultural forms and norms and, and methodologies. Uh, when the church doesn't do that, um, when the church just sticks with the gospel, it doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what the liturgies are. It doesn't matter what the, whether you have whether you have a high liturgy or low liturgy or no liturgy. Whether you're a crypto papist like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but if you're preaching the gospel and not Amen. compromising, then God, you that's what God uses. It's well, by the gospel it, that He brings people to faith. Yeah, it's, I mean, look at Paul in the in Acts is instructive. You know, he goes to the Jews first. He goes to synagogues, and he gets you know resistance there. But he also he considers that to be a you know sort of fertile ground to to preach the gospel. Then he goes even like in Athens, you know, to the sort of spiritual people. So he says, but look what actually happens when he gets, confronts the 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 outright you know unrepentant pagans of the world like like the silversmiths in, in um, Ephesus, you know, <laughs> he causes a riot and then he gets beaten and thrown out of the city. Like that's what happens. And so we, we talked about this last week, I think, but, but I'm just, I was struck by it again today, uh, St. Phillips, you know, which you recently in our, our um, uh, lawsuit uh, retained the property, uh, the historic property. So St. Phillips is the sort of the oldest, most beautiful, largest ship in the ACNA Armada right now. It's, it's just beautiful. And they have this tea room, right. Which is like just such an, such a, <laughs> most Anglican thing ever. Yeah, exactly. Like Sherry at noon and all the things. And I was saying, there's no possible way that St. Philip's to the, to the silversmiths of the world, to the, to the sort of rabid uh, neo-pagans um, are going to be winsomely um, won to, to Jesus by the, um, you know, cucumber sandwiches and the Sherry and the, and the, the tea It's just going to be rejected out of hand because that's the church, right? That's the one that is so contrary to the spirit of our age and is daring to defame our idols. And yet, I mean, in the community of believers, you know, from all over town, all over, you know, it's not just Anglicans that were at the tea room. And it's an incredibly encouraging uh, witness, not only what they've gone through, but actually this this seemingly, uh, you know, sort of throwback little tea service they have. And I think that's what we're going to see more uh going forward and the preparation for a minister that understands that is paramount for the formation of the future of the ACNA. Because if you think you signed up for a chaplaincy, well, there are churches that still operate under that model, but this is not one of them. Because when people dig down through your 
smoke machine if you have one or, or your sort of skinny jeans or whatever it is you're doing to, to hide the Anglican identity you have and actually read our prayer book, the Jerusalem Declaration, the founding documents, the 39 articles, you start reading this thing and connecting the dots to what you are then going to be required as a pastor to teach, preach, and proclaim into the world. Well, then you need, you might want to sign up for like Krav Maga, not, um, not like, uh, you know, that's a Israeli fighting defense tactic. You may know, I mean, but you may want to, you may want to sort of hone your you know your uh, secondary um vocation skills because <laughs> if you're looking for like a, a a loving willing audience to invite you to their uh to, to their tea well you need to live in charleston because outside of that <laughs> they're not going to be a lot of people looking to uh include you in their um otherwise culturally acceptable kind of soft chaplain um, sort of witness to the world. And so, and that's my hope for Trinity. I think that's why it's great that it's an Ambridge. I think that despite some differences, which I would always have, particularly as a theologian with, with any faculty member, that's not me, the men and women uh, well, uh, who are on staff there, you know, are, are going to be deeply connected by their own lives and vocation to the ACNA. So it's in their interest to, to understand the challenges, even if they don't agree with all of them. And that's a new thing. You know, we're, we're, we're slowly getting our feet under us in service of the province as the province continues to get its feet under itself. And I think that conversations precisely like the ones we're having, but then more importantly, that you or Bishop Dobbs or whomever has concerns and hopes for Trinity could have with the new leadership are going to be incredibly important over the next, you know, three, five, seven years in particular, as they continue to restaff. And also as we live into the, into the reality of what does it now look like for the second generation of ACNA uh, formation? And that's, that's what we're looking at now. I've got some opinions about this. So, <laughs> okay. so, so, Do uh, tell. Right. Well, okay. First of all, I don't know about you guys, but the most worthless classes I took in seminary. And I, I went to a very liberal seminary, but I, I found the, the exegetical courses and the theological courses helpful, if nothing, if, for nothing more than just being able to, to construct a good apologetic before I got, got out. But the most useless classes I found were the, cla- the practical courses. Like you get these big speeches in the beginning of the courses. Oh, well, we're going to teach you how, what things are like when you get your hands dirty in the, in the parish, no, they celebrate from your womb. Yeah. How to celebrate you. (laughs) No, I would say if you're going to construct an an actual usable seminary, uh, seminary education, cut all those ridiculous classes out. They don't help you put your seminarians into churches. All those hours they spend studying Dr. So-and-so's esoteric ideas about what people are like in the parish who hasn't been in a parish his entire life. That's right. Don't do that. Stick your seminarians in parishes, have them work there regularly. Um, And then what they need is, yeah, give them the language, intense language learning, intense theological study, intense church history study, intense Bible study. But uh, all the, all the, all the, all the intellectual needs that they're going to have, all the intellectual um, uh, things they're going to have to have to be, to be good informed scholar pastors, give them that in seminary, but cut out all the ridiculous so-called practical courses. I'll never forget that. Right. I had an opportunity to take a class, an entire class on like churchmanship, you know, right. like how to, you read the, what is that book that was called how to be a priest or something, how to hold your hands. And there was a whole class, like it was just in the chapel and they would teach you like where to bow and what to, 
And I remember discussing at the time with the dean. I was like, well, should I do this class or should I take the other class? He's like, look, do you have like six minutes? I could teach you that entire class. <laughs> and I was like, Wait, but it sounds very important in the formation. He's like, yeah. He's yeah. like, I would definitely take the other one. And I'm grateful I did because it was much more um, you know, rigorous and profound. And again, that's not... Well, that is to cast aspersions on that particular class. But at any rate, I agree with you, Matt. I think that, I mean, we've talked about this before, but now it's it's acute because we have this, this transition point at the life of Trinity. And, you know, Nick and I, you know, I've re- retained um, sort of more active investment in it. But I know as an alum, you know, you hope that it continues to, to be a, a, a positive for the ACNA. And I certainly hope that myself. And I think that precisely to your point, Matt, that we can appeal to the actual job that we now know an ACNA cleric is going to face um, and appeal to the leadership of the seminary and say, you know, when you were trying to form undercover evangelicals who would go serve funded parishes in large cities and sort of work from the inside out, that was a different model and required even perhaps different professors, you know, different professors, different, um, again, not to speak to anyone in particular, but but the, the the whole question was different. But now we're looking at, you know, uh, basically like the, the Anglican version of the the Jesuit missionaries dropped off in the middle of you know Colombia or um, or wherever. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to hew your own uh, you know church out of out of nothing. You're going to have to be a preacher, an evangelist, an apologist, perhaps a bivocational clerical and, Navy um, SEALs. That's right. And and what that's going to require is an amount of courage and conviction on the front end that needs to be represented. And I think Dr. Holland does a good job of this by the leadership, you know, people that have counted the cost, have faced courage under fire. And again, that's his own story. But he's, you know, as an ACNA cleric, he has run into the same problems that all of us have in an increasingly secular world and preaching the gospel and standing for these truths connected across the, the globe. But I think that if we can if we can articulate that from the front end, which will necessarily weed out the chaplains, which would be by, with help of the bishops and, the, and the, the rectors, then we have a possibility of Trinity continuing to form what I hope would be leaders for the ACNA going for the future who would be converse. You know, I'd love for a, a, what I'd love nothing more is for a, for a, for a Trinity person who, let's say, particularly our issue, we talked about women's ordination, to come out of that with exhaustive knowledge of both sides, to be able to go and play devil's advocate to people that were sort of disrupting a church about this issue and still have their own particular uh, conviction and hopefully uh, represent something of the of the breath with a with a sense of, of uh, sort of Christian, you know, gentleness and humility that Peter talks about in first three and be able to articulate, well, why is this important to you? How is it held? And and how does it play out in the life of your own particular parish? You know, these are questions that I think we have to address as ACN in general, and Trinity would be the place where in specific, those questions will begin to be hammered out. And so I, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, Matt, that the, the formative aspect of it needs to be clear eyed and sober, soberly assess as to what the world you're actually going into. And back to your, your reference of Aaron Wren and James Wood, we are sending sheep to the wolves. You know, we are sending, uh, we are sending people into a much more hostile environment than perhaps Anglicans have ever been sent into in North America, at least. And I think it will be to everyone's benefit if we're clear about that, if we are, um, if we count the cost and then we are recruiting courageous and convicted people to, to form for the sake of the future of our church. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that, you know, I mean, a, a part of that uh, at Trinity and in the diocese and in the church. I think that seminaries were formed at a time when, when, there, when the usual track was, you come out of seminary, you, you have a two-year curacy. 
and then you have then you become a rector like you you learn how to you learn the ropes after seminary because you're in the church but in the acna that doesn't work anymore because the vast majority of churches aren't able to afford to have two two pastors they can have one so you're coming most guys are coming out of seminary and they're either planning a church yeah. or they're uh they're in a they're they're the guy they're the rector of the church or the, or the victor in chief or whatever the vicar, you know, or whatever and so they don't have any they have zero usually hands-on experience leading a church they have a lot of theoretical knowledge they have zero practical knowledge and that's and like i was saying the courses that they they might get in seminary don't help them at all because they're all theoretical and they haven't actually had to, got, had to get their hands dirty so i mean one way that i think parishes can help in this regard is if you have a young man who's interested in ministry you put him in i mean you have a, you have just tight enough to pay a 10-hour thing get him on staff have him come and have him cleaning the toilets going to the vestry meetings, uh, dealing with the, dealing with the cranky parishioner. I mean, you just put him in as many situations as you can prepping him for seminary. If he, if you got a guy who's in seminary, do that stuff too. make, make him get his hands dirty in the parish experience, see all the ugliness, know the politics, know the way the thing works so that when he gets his, his academic studies done, he can come out and he's ready to use those academics in an effective way because he knows people. He's not, he's, right. he hasn't been, he hasn't been spent three That's or right. four years away and locked away and, and, and without any exposure to the sheep. That's right. So uh, that's that's my last pitch here. I know we have. Well, no, I think it's great. I think I think all of these ideas are not only on the table, but are uh, part of the necessary rethink of seminary education in light of all of the various factors. You know, demographic decline, the church size, the new ACNA, the on, move to online, all of the things. And I think what I'm hoping is that um, over the next you know, 18 months, two years, and Dr. Holland gets his feet underneath him. And as we grow into this new chapter of being a exclusively, or at least hopefully the, the, the flagship ACNA seminary, that it will have to really take under advisement a lot of these concerns because it is an institution that has been formed. It's already there. It's got a wonderful history. It's, it's, um, it, it was constitutive member and part of the growth and the development of the ACNA it is known globally by people uh, as a orthodox defender of the faith. And I, um, you know, as a board member, will fight and, and trust that that will remain the case and look forward to adapting to the needs of our constituency, which is the ACNA going forward in hopes that we will continue to produce people who will be faithful and courageous under fire for the sake of our children and grandchildren who will be in this church, God willing, well after we're gone. So um, stay tuned, but keep, uh, but certainly, um, you keep me informed and we'll, we'll, we will, uh, we will take your cares and concerns and duly note them. So. <laughs> well, I think I speak for all of us when I say that we're available to teach the Anglican podcasting class, which is not useless or frivolous in any way. I guess that wasn't funny at all. Fine. That's Fine. That's good. Fine. Whatever. That is going to be all the time we have. Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are, as always, very grateful that you took the time to listen today. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh,